You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with our regular October episode, episode number 39 of Socialist News and Views. We start with the news. Girl Who Witnessed George Floyd's Killing releases book for his birthday is the title of an article on the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder from October 13th. The article says about the book and its writer, Judea Reynolds, quote, the book details how the then nine-year-old girl wanted to buy candy at a store near her home in Minneapolis, and her 17-year-old cousin, Darnella Frazier, agreed to accompany her. As they left Cup Foods, the girls were horrified to see George Floyd on the street beneath Officer Derek Chauvin's knee, end quote. You can read more on that book's publication on George Floyd's birthday on spokesman-recorder.com. Scabby the Rat tours U of M campus, Teamsters Ready to Strike, is the title of an article on Fightback News from October 17th. The article by staff is, of course, talking about the giant inflatable rat that makes an appearance where employers are using scabs. This article says the University of Minnesota brought in the company Chefs on the Fly as scabs in preparation of a potential strike. The article quotes Teamster 320 steward Mick Kelly as saying, quote, We are not going to put up with poverty wages. We will do whatever it takes. Students support us and ask how they can help. The administration and their scab operations in the kitchen will never stop us from winning, end quote. It's Going Down has an article from October 16th entitled Statements from Alabama Prisoners as Strike Enters Third Week. The article includes coverage from Unicorn Riot and says, quote, The strike has now entered its third week, and at least five facilities, each with around 7,000 prisoners, continue to participate. Alabama Department of Corrections, ADOC, has punished prisoners by drastically reducing their meals, essentially attempting to starve them off the strike, end quote. The article says the strike was not called by any one group, but the Free Alabama movement is active on the inside and has released demands. The article also highlights the role family members and formerly incarcerated people are playing on the outside through the group, both sides of the wall. You can read more on itsgoingdown.org. Deeple's Dispatch has an article on October 18th by Natalia Marcus, with the title, Environmental Racism is Poisoning the Waters in the U.S., the article starts by highlighting the right to safe and clean drinking water as a human right recognized by the U.N. General Assembly. The second section of the article, titled The Struggle for Water is a Struggle Against Racism, outlines dangerous water conditions in a number of U.S. cities, including New York, Baltimore, and Jackson, Mississippi, of which it says, quote, Jackson is 82.5% black and this water crisis is only the latest in a chain of failures in the city's underfunded water system. 
The roots of the water crisis originate in the era immediately following the racial desegregation of schools in Jackson in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Following desegregation, white residents left the city en masse. From 1960 to 1990, the white population residing in Jackson shrunk by 6,000. White departure meant that white residents, historically more well-off than descendants of black people who were enslaved, would no longer constitute a large portion of the tax base for city funding, end quote. Internationally, Commons has an article called Support Ukrainian Resistance and Disempower Fossil Capital, the authors of which are a collective of socialist activists from Ukraine, Russia, Poland, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. The article ultimately argues against a previous article of, quote, anti-militarist defeatism, end quote, saying of the article, quote, the statement of the authors reads like many contributions from the old peace movement and a one-sided sham anti-imperialist left, end quote. The article highlights a number of mistakes it says many on the left make, both about the character of the conflict as well as its relation to previous historical periods. It ends with a section entitled Developing a Global Perspective of Solidarity and Ecology Together. You can read more on commons.com.ua slash en. U.S. U.N. out of Haiti. No U.S. aid to Haiti dictatorship. No to deportations. Haitian asylum now. That is the title of a pamphlet reprinted online on October 17th from Socialist Action. It starts, quote, Haiti's mighty slave revolution, which declared its independence from France in 1804, horrified racist U.S. rulers who have sought to crush Haitian independence for over 200 years, end quote. The second section of the pamphlet reads, quote, the Biden administration has deported more Haitians than Obama and Trump combined, despite the blatant violation of U.S. and international immigration law. To date, Biden has expelled well over 26,000 Haitians, fleeing the dictatorship of the corrupt U.S.-backed de facto Prime Minister Ariel Henry, end quote. And October 14th, we were sent this, an exclusive article from one of our listeners from the Miami Herald by Michael Wilner and Jacqueline Charles, which was titled, U.S. Will Support Sending Multinational Rapid Action Force to Haiti. The article says the United States has drafted a United Nations Security Council resolution to that effect. Quote, a U.S. source familiar with the drafting of the resolution said the multilateral force would not be under the supervision of the U.N. or assembled under Chapter 7 of the U.N., end quote. The article says it would be expected a U.N. force would follow. This is one Haitian protester responding to the original request from the current Haitian government for assistance. This first aired on Al Jazeera on October 11th. This request is an unconstitutional act. This is an act against the state. It is an action against the Haitian people's demands who want a free country where everyone can eat, have health care, and live like human beings. And this is me here. Make no mistake, an international force going into Haiti will be a force of imperialism. And now we go to a musical break with Living Like a Refugee by Sierra Leone's Refugee All-Stars. The song is from the 2006 album, also called Living Like a Refugee. Let's start. Living like a refugee, it's not easy. You see, I just took all the problems, the suffering of the people, and then make a song of it. You left your country, it's a seek refuge in another man's land. You left your country to seek refuge in another man's land. You will be 
be confronted by strange dialects, you will be fed with unusual diets. You got to sleep in a tarpaulin house, which is so hot. You got to sleep on a tarpaulin mat, which is so cold. Oh, we on time, living like a refugee. Anna is not easy. It's really not easy. Living like a refugee is not easy. Oh, we on time, living like a refugee. Anna is not easy. It's really not easy. Living like a refugee is not easy. I want to hear my solos. Franco? Nah? You don't get your supply? Computer, don't forget me anymore. Not a massive computer again. Arayim? Sir? You don't get your tarpaulin? Protection, no consider me. Nature. Nine. You don't get your medicine. Mama. I said to see say. I said to for the CC, for the CC again. Francis Boma, Francis Boma again. You know the artist will go past some. Better man say. You left your country to seek refuge in another man's land. You left your country to seek refuge in another man's land. Confronted by strange dialects, you will be fed with unusual diets. You've got to sleep in a tarpaulin house, which is so hot. You got to sleep on a tarpaulin mat, which is so cold. Oh, we on time, living like a refugee. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. Living like a refugee is not easy. The second half of our show today is stories from Mayday Books. I sat down at the current site of Mayday Books at 301 Cedar Avenue in Minneapolis on Sunday, August 28th, to talk to a group of Mayday volunteers about the history of the Radical Bookstore, what's changed, and what's new today. The interview included Chris Shylock, Mike Whalen, C.G. Gibbs, Kristen Dooley, and of course, Craig Palmer, who you've probably met if you've ever stopped in at Mayday Books. We will include a link to the only slightly edited raw video in the show notes. For the clips on this show, I'll introduce each clip individually. In the first clip, Mike Whalen talks about the early days of Mayday Books in the 1970s. 
1975, there was a there was a co-op bookstore in the Selby Co-op in St. Paul, and that was at the uh, right around the same time that the co-op organization was starting to gain strength and power, and they took over they took over legal means, took over Selby Co-op, and the the book co-op was a separate collective, so they closed, and just about that time. Myself and some other people who volunteered at the bookstore um, started started looking for space in our neighborhood for a, another bookstore, and so that was like Steve Trimble and John Veldy, Richard McMonagle, and Spencer Blau, and uh, I can't remember some of the other people. And uh, so we rented a fifty dollar a month um, space. It was a wooden uh, like a wooden storefront. Right at the end, right at the end of um, Wong's Cafe, and um, it had virtually no heat, and um, there was rats in the building, and but but it was it was nice, and we had it was all volunteer, and um, to be part of the collective, you had to work a shift, you had to come to the meeting each week, and then you had to belong to uh, to a another organization, you know, like uh, you know, like. We started a Eritrean Solidarity Committee, and there was a South African Solidarity Committee, and Irish Solidarity Committee. So there was all these different groups that, were, that, um, that people worked worked with, and uh, and so it, I mean we didn't have, I don't think we got robbed because we didn't have we hardly made any money at all. The pamphlets were twenty five cents, so so we make just about we make the fifty dollars for rent. Maybe a little bit more money for new books, but and uh, uh, a lot of people were coming from Minneapolis to shop, and so right at the so we were we were next to Wong's, and then on the corner of Western and Selby, there was the Social Purpose Party at a bookstore, and then next door to that was probably the first info shop in Twin Cities. The, the Social Purpose Party moved in maybe in seventy six or seventy seven. You know, they always had back in the seventies. The Social Purpose Party always had really big spaces. Lots of times it would be, they would rent old halls and, you know, it might be on the second floor for like weddings and, you know, maybe it was a union hall or something, but they would have, they would have their bookstore there and they'd be able to have meetings and everything else. But, so this was kind of a, a this was probably as they were maybe declining in strength in the Twin Cities because this was just the corner. And, uh, I don't know if, it, we didn't, we never got hassled by people, you know, as a, then the, that neighborhood was a lot was a lot poorer. Um, we did we did help name a park a block away from the bookstore um, after a black communist, um, the local neighborhood organization, which was which was uh, not white supremacists, but they were like the rich white people in the neighborhood uh, had had gotten permission from the city to name it Frank Kitson Park. He was an early governor and he was a, a racist fucker and messed with indigenous people in the state. And then they said they changed it to Old Town Square, ugh, which is probably kind of worse than that. But but we went, we talked to somebody, found out, found out that Frank Boyd was a had been a member of the Communist Party. He was a union leader, and um, in one of the strikes, they stopped. He stopped the train in the tunnels in Montana, so no other trains could go through. It's like some more support and solidarity for the strike. But uh, so, and I can't remember. Um, the house I lived in was, was handing out the local newspaper and I maybe we edited it too, but, but it was like, there was lots of politics in the seventies, you know, more than, more than there is now. I mean, people were around and remember it, you know, there was stuff going on all the time. Um, 
And uh, so eventually we decided uh, that it would be better to move. So when we did that, several people stopped working at the store. They, they only wanted to work in a store in St. Paul. And, uh, and uh, so we found a place on Chicago and Franklin. And we were there for a couple of years. And we, got, we would get hassled there. There'd be, you know, drugs coming in and, and causing disruption, but we just kick them out. And, uh, and we had connections with AIM, and AIM was stronger then than it is now. And so if anybody was giving us a lot of, a lot of hassle, we'd just call AIM, and then AIM would come down and beat the guy up or push him out. At the end there, Mike mentioned AIM, which is the American Indian Movement, which still exists today and began in Minneapolis in the summer of 1968. In this next clip, Craig Palmer discusses getting involved at Mayday Books and connects that involvement to being a veteran. It also includes Craig speaking about what has changed since the 60s and 70s and what books are selling well today. The clip ends with Kristen Dooley discussing the book Teamster Rebellion. Have a listen. I, mean, I, I came around made a books. I think it was around spring of 1980. And uh, Mike Whalen there was on duty when I wandered in there, and he sort of uh, recruited me. You know, I, we were talking, and he was an Army veteran, and so was I. So I just decided to start hanging around and, and uh, been around May Day ever since. It was over there in the anchor, next to the anchor bar in Chicago and Franklin. So it was just a totally new world for me. I mean, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a working class guy, you know, from St. Paul and Vietnam veteran. And if, if Mike had not been in the Army, I probably would have not volunteered at all. You know, I was sort of a liberal, you know, anti-war, you know, because of Vietnam. And I just found a lot of the information very interesting and fascinating. So so I've just hung around since. And, uh, you know, I volunteered at, uh, we were in several places from there. I think we moved to uh, Elliott Park on 15th and 11th Avenue. We were there for, what, four or five years? Yeah, that was a nice place. Yep. I had the, the show space in the basement. We had, uh, in the basement, we uh, did fundraisers to pay the rent and stuff, and we got sort of famous for that. And then from there, we moved to uh, to uh, 32nd of Chicago. That was Eddie Feline's building, and we were there for about five years. And then we... Uh, Crime got really bad in the neighborhood, and so we uh, ended up moving here in 1990, March of 1990, and I, you know, I'm still here. So it was a dirt floor. <laughs> well, the neighborhood was really cool. It was still sort of a hippie neighborhood from the you know no 60s and 70s, and uh, yeah, it was this the spot right here was just a coal bin. You know, it was remodeled, but it was a place to store coal. So. But yeah, we've, uh, we've, I don't know what to say, we've just, our job is to, you know, try to change the world, basically, yeah. for the better, so. Simple job, yeah. Many groups, uh, many people, thousands of people through here over the years, and endless meetings and endless programs, and I guess our mission is still ongoing. Well, politics has just got a lot more complicated, you know, and, and the propaganda system is just a lot more overwhelming, you know, all sorts of things like that, you know, and and uh, and the spirit of the 60s and 70s, you know, it was, it was a culture of resistance, 
And that's all sort of disappeared. I mean, the last cultural resistance was maybe the punk movement a little bit. But since then, I mean, you know. A lot of people now are age, they would say, well, there's always Hillary Clinton. All these people who I would think never, never would, I'd never hear that, and you're never going, Hillary. We've been saying a lot of more uh, left thought. Marx, Lenin, Mao's coming back. A lot of people mm-hmm. buying Mao's stuff. So, yeah, that section over there, the theory section, selling a lot more books out of there. Yeah, I mean, I have to reorder Capital by Marx all the time. Capital wow. Volume 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's shocking to me. So, so, so yeah, uh, Lenin sells well. I mean, you know, books about racism sell well. Women's section over there, they're, they're selling well. This old classic, The Scum Manifesto, is selling well. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's still in oh, wow. I have to reorder that all the time. We yeah. also sell Teamster Rebellion. Oh, Teamster Rebellion, of course. Yeah. Which is uh, based on the strike that was here. 19, 1934. Yeah. 1934 Teamster mm-hmm. Strike. We keep that in stock. I see we've got six or seven, and they'll be gone in a month or so. Well, that still continues to sell. People find out that this was a an amazing uh, revolutionary town at one point, and uh, just some amazing um, organizing work that had never been done before anywhere in the country happened here. When they had they had people, they had homeless people that they hired to work for the strike. They had secretaries who went through the uh, trash at the. Um, at the corporate offices and, and were able to spy on the bosses right. for the strike. Uh, just amazing work that got done by people who understood that they were all on the same side. And uh, so works like that, get uh, we keep them in stock and make sure people know about them. One point, there, there's more women buying books than men even? Yes. Okay. So that's significant too. Hmm. Now, in this clip, Kristen Dooley talks about meetings during the Persian Gulf War and also about concerns about crime when she came to May Day in 1985. And lastly, talks about their current space. Well, you know, during the, the Persian Gulf War, we'd have meetings here over 100 people, which is insane. Just people packed all over. And everybody was smoking. And everybody was smoking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and um, back then, it was. I remember the big, the big debate was: should we starve them or should we bomb them? And it was, you know, and we were always saying, you know, neither one of these is a really good plan, you know. <laughs> so, um, I think we've progressed since then that there were anti-war people who were saying no we should we should put sanctions that's that's the better that's the more uh humane way of conducting war and now they're not fooled by that as much as they were at the time but that was a real debate i remember Mm -hmm. back when we had so we had huge meetings here for a while and uh 
But, um, you know, the, the anti-war movement was never unified. There were always big splits like that. And just like there's splits now over, you know, what to, what to say about Ukraine. Um, yeah. So uh, there's always been uh, splits, and the anti-war movement has always kind of gone up and down. But uh, it's... We've never had the propaganda that we have now. And when did you get involved with May Day? In 1985, probably, uh, when we were on um, Chicago and 30 Snow. 30 Snow. Yeah. At, at, Chicago. Yeah. At modern times. Um, and we were there for a long time, but then people started, they started having... Uh, People were getting murdered on our front step for a while there. It was, yeah. a, it was gangs were moving in, and it was just, it was not a nice place to be. And it was a little, we were all kind of afraid to go down there by ourselves. Um, yeah, and I mean, they weren't really, they weren't after us. We didn't feel like we were the targets, but you could be there at the wrong time. And so then, um, how did we find out about this place? What happened? We got invited over here. Was it Peter Dodge? Yeah, I don't know how we ended up here. So, <laughs> we were looking for a place and somebody knew somebody in. We got out that Peter Dodge was looking for a, a bookstage because Saverns had been upstairs. Right, yeah. That was it, yeah. So, so that was my history. That Saverns was this excellent bookstore, uh, independent bookstore upstairs, really well curated books, and they um, used to be able to get all the left press there. You used to be able to get um, a great variety of, of fiction and, and even like university stuff. And, um, but then they closed kind of suddenly. Yeah. I, I don't mind he went out of business. I was I wonder if he just decided to close it just because he didn't want to do books anymore. Yeah. And uh, so there had been a tradition of having a bookstore on this corner. And when Peter was trying to find somebody to come into this space, and he heard that we were a bookstore looking for a space, he asked us to come down. So he came down. And like I said, it was a dirt floor. There was no bathroom. There was, it was just that... That tunnel was open, that tunnel was open, and uh, we just said, okay, we'll try it, and we um, built all of these bookshelves, um, we built from scratch. Who's guy, Mike, somebody who built the calendar for us, and just, you know, different people built different parts of it. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.